0: To teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. So, we are tackling a major chapter today in Revelation, chapter 17. It is packed full of mysteries, uh, figuratively and literally, and packed full of uh, things that you probably have never heard before. So, this will be really, really interesting as we dive into it. And Because it is such a unique chapter, I I do want to open up just with a quick prayer that we keep Acts 17, 11 in mind. Everything I share this morning, I want you guys to take it to the Word of God and test it. Make sure it's true. Find out for yourself. And then also we're going to petition 1 John 2, 27, the Holy Spirit, to teach us everything out of this chapter. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together god we thank you that we can search your word daily to prove these things be so and father we petition the holy spirit lord to anoint this place and to anoint every single person hearing this message that lord we are taught only by you and you alone father we need no man to teach us but the anointing of the holy spirit will teach us all things you declare in first john two twenty seven. and we thank you for that promise we claim it this morning And just pray that you would let us see this with a fresh set of eyes against what is going on in the world this day. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start off. um, Austin, if you could just go to slide six. It's slide five, but it'll be six probably on your screen. Go a few more. Yeah, one more. Okay, there we go. So we, we went through the seven bowls last time. We got all the way through the seven bowl judgments from chapter 16 and what i wanted to recap real quick is the last three verses of chapter 16 because babylon comes to remembrance to the lord and that's what the chapter 17 is all about is this mystery babylon and what is going on with mystery babylon and who is this woman what is what is she doing why is she drunk with the blood of the saints and why is god bringing it to remembrance as the last judgment in the entire book of revelation so if you remember last time in verse 19 from chapter 16, And the great city, that's Jerusalem, Jerusalem's the great city, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. That's a, that's a heavy cup. Uh, verse 20, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. And if you remember last time, the judgment for blaspheming God from Leviticus is stoning. So God literally, these people, if you remember through the bold judgments, they continue to blaspheme the Lord every every single time another judgment's poured out. And ultimately, it leads to stoning, which is the final judgment from the Lord, which is biblical from Leviticus. But this, the great city Babylon comes into remembrance. So this judgment on Babylon, it's going to unfold in the next two chapters, 17 and 18. And it's actually prophesied in four chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah 13 and 14 and Jeremiah 50 and 51. And we're going to explore those four chapters next time because they declare A literal judgment on a city that was founded by Nimrod that has never unfolded and so we're gonna look at that next time in a lot of detail but today we're taking this spirit of Babylon this mystery Babylon this woman this false religious system that was founded in Babylon by Nimrod and it really followed the money as seceding world empires conquered the world and this false pagan system followed the money where it settled ultimately in Rome. So we're going to look at that in a lot of detail today. That's what chapter 17 is kind of all about. So Babylon is where every occultic practice is rooted after the flood. So after the flood of Noah, Nimrod founded Babylon. He was a dictator who began to profane the name of the Lord, not call on the name of the Lord. So his name in Hebrew, uh, Marad, means we will rebel. And just to give you a hint of how wicked his name is, I'm sure none of you in this room know anyone who's named their kid Nimrod, right? You wouldn't do that today. It's not a great name to, to name your child after. Now, you use it in a derogatory manner a lot, right? Like, boy, he is such a uh, Nimrod. Uh, it's, it's, there's a reason for that. So in Genesis 10, verses 8 through 10, And Cush beget Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Urk, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. So the Hebrew word there, before, it literally means in defiance of, in the Hebrew. So read it a little bit of a different way. He was a mighty hunter in defiance of the Lord. Not in terms of being mighty in the Lord's eyes, but he was in defiance of the Lord. He was against God. Nimrod was the first world dictator after the flood. And the Antichrist will be rooted somewhat from Babylon, kind of the Nimrod II, so to speak. So this is the place where sun worship began. We talked about that last time. Moon worship was rooted in Jericho. Sun worship was worded in Babel it's where it's why we as a church meet on Sundays. Today we talked about that last time, but that just gives you a hint of when Christianity was legalized in Rome and Constantine wanted to satisfy the Christians and all of the pagan idolatrous religious zealots that were out there, he co-mingled them. And that's really what this is all about today in chapter 17 is this commingling of this false religious system that is responsible, as we'll see in a little bit, for the blood of every martyr of Jesus is rooted in this system. That's, that's why God is waiting and serving this judgment at the very end. It's kind of like in any, in any great action movie, right? You take out all of the sidekicks, and then ultimately you have the big fight between the hero and the, and the boss of the enemy. Kind of the same thing. So Josephus, if you don't know who he is, he was a Hebrew historian, he wrote about Nimrod in Antiquities of the Jews. He said, Nimrod persuaded mankind not to ascribe their happiness to God, but to think that his own excellency was the source of it. And he soon changed things into a tyranny, thinking that there was no other way to wean men from the fear of God than by making them rely upon his own power. It's so twisted. See, the way, that, the way it's twisted... The world and false religious systems would love for you to not fear the Lord, but instead fear this false system. It's a spirit of fear. And and again, all the way back to chapter 13 when we were talking, what is coming upon the world right now? It's all driven by a spirit of fear. If you don't do this, you'll be exiled. If you don't do this, you can't go to the store. If you don't do this, it's all driven by fear. The Jerusalem Targum... Said of Speaking of Nimrod, he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord, for he was a hunter of the sons of men. And he said to them, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. There is it said, as Nimrod is the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. So, Just to give you a little bit of insight into how the, the ancient Hebrew historians, how they saw Nimrod. He was not a good guy. So God declares Babylon, again, it's the root of all evil after the flood. It's in Isaiah 47. When you read that whole chapter, you'll understand how the Lord absolutely despises Babylon. So the Babylonian legend stated that Tamez, the son of Nimrod and Semiramis, he was identified as the Babylonian sun god, and he was worshipped following the winter solstice. So get the picture. They would believe that Tamez, the legend was, Died at the winter solstice and was rebirthed a few days later. Gee, I wonder where they got that from. And they were he was rebirthed, the winter solstice. If you don't know what it is, it's the shortest day of sunlight every year. It's in late December. And the next day was they viewed as the rebirth of the sun god. So because the sun would start to grow again. Now you can just see how twisted that is from what we believe and know in truth in Jesus. As the true Son of God, who was die who died and wrote three days again rose again, but that 's also what rooted in us celebrating jesus birth in late december december twenty fifth it 's all rooted back in Babylon right there, with that worship of Tammuz. Uh, when you study this, and maybe we 'll get into this someday at church around Christmas time, but when you study it biblically. Yes, J.E., we'll celebrate that. When we study it biblically, you, you know that Jesus could not have been born in winter because sheep, number one, were not in open field in the winter, and the, and the shepherds were there when the angels came to them with sheep in the open field. So that's one clue. that There's no way it was in winter. There's a lot of other clues we can get into from John the Baptist and his father and the Levitical priesthood of when they celebrated or when they transitioned, basically shifts in the temple and who was in it, and you go back to the Old Testament, you can calculate pretty quick about the time Jesus was actually born on the earth, and it was not December. I'm sorry to burst any bubbles in the room. really apologize, but we'll get into that sometime later. So at the time of the winter solstice, it was said that Tamez died and was reborn about December the 25th. So you can already see what the enemy is doing here. Uh, And the spirit of Antichrist seeks to change the times and the seasons, according to Daniel. So if he can get you off on what the truth is and plant these roots of lies and deceit, then you're celebrating something that's not the truth continually. And it's not just in this, it's in everything. But as Babylon was conquered by future world empires, this pagan religious system followed the money. So get the idea, it was first translated into Pergamus remember we read about Pergamus in Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 through 17 that letter that Jesus wrote to Pergamus and the word Pergamus literally means a perverted marriage if you remember all the way back to when we were going through those letter by letter it's it's a church that had married the world so it was a perverted marriage and Jesus had a lot of stern words for that church so when Christianity was established As the official legal religion of Rome, many of these pagan practices became adopted and really ingrained in Christianity. It's where we get the Christmas tree from. Go read Jeremiah 10, and God will tell you what he thinks about the Christmas tree. It was this pagan, idolatrous practice where they would cut down a tree, they would deck it in silver and gold, and people would bow down and worship it as as a birth or a celebration of their God. The worship of the golden egg, Astarte, is where we get Easter with bunnies and eggs. That was all from Babylon. Uh, ending the calendar on October 31st was what they did. That was their year that they ended the calendar. It's where we got the worship of Baal that we call Halloween today. So it's all rooted back in Babylon. This, th- it's so ingrained in our culture. This is why God hates it so much, because it gets us as believers off the mark. It gets us celebrating something that is not biblical. We should be celebrating Passover, not Easter. We should be celebrating Jesus' birth, but not when we do as a culture. We're never going to fix that unless God changes something radically, so I'm I'm not telling you don't celebrate Christmas. Don't misunderstand, but just understand the root of where it came from The word Babylon appears 286 times in 252 verses in the King James. It's the second most city discussed in the Bible behind Jerusalem, as you could imagine. The word Babel appears only two times in two verses in Genesis 10 and 11. The plain of Shinar occurs seven times in seven verses. So think of the plain as kind of the county as where Babylon was. The plain of Shinar would be south of Baghdad in the middle of Iraq. So modern-day Iraq. There is the plain of Shinar. So it's got a lot to say about this geographic area on planet Earth. The city stands today along the Euphrates just south of Baghdad. And it's Saddam Hussein, if you remember all the way back to the first Gulf War in the 90s, Saddam Hussein spent a great amount of time rebuilding that city that Nebuchadnezzar ruled from in the book of Daniel. He rebuilt the palace. He made this false hill where he rebuilt the uh, basically the hall from Daniel 5 where they held the the false festival with the handwriting on the wall Saddam Hussein rebuilt all of that so Babylon is very much standing today okay so to get into chapter 17 verse 1 and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither and i will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters Remember, the waters are nations, peoples, tongues. So this is a religious system that has covered the earth. It's not not just one people group. The wicked are like the troubled sea, Isaiah said, that has no rest. So the first hint as to mystery Babylon is that she sits upon many waters. In verse 2, "...with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth..." have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Okay, clearly the Lord's upset, right? The leaders of the earth have turned away from the Lord to commit idolatry with this system, this, as the Lord describes it, as a woman, this system that is mystery Babylon. They've committed so much idolatry that it's made them drunk on her power. And they become intoxicated on something other than the love and provision from the Creator Himself. And so you can understand why God is absolutely at odds with this system that's corrupted the entire earth. In verse 3 So He carried me away into the Spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. Now, Remember, the beast system, the Antichrist, this beast that we've been studying from Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 4, Revelation 13, Revelation 12, Revelation 17, on and on and on it goes. It's all over the Bible. Don't What the Lord is showing is there is a difference between this woman, Mystery Babylon, the, the false religious system, and the beast system that is taking over the, the earth right now. It's setting the stage for it, okay? Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So the Lord's differentiating the woman, Mystery Babylon, and the beast system that we've been discussing. And later that beast system is going to turn on the woman and devour her. We're going to see that later in this chapter, actually. So notice the beast is of scarlet color. The beast is full of names of blasphemy, the seven heads and ten horns. We've talked about that a lot. It comes from Daniel 2 and 7, Revelation 12 and 13. It's all over the Bible. Remember, there were were seven heads because there were seven kingdoms, Satan's seven super kingdoms that we're going to look at in a minute. But the final kingdom has those ten kings that rise up to rule the world. The Antichrist rises up out of them, puts three down, and the remaining seven give their authority and delegate it to the Antichrist. So that's where the ten kings come from. It's from the ten toes in Daniel 2. It's all over these these chapters in the Bible. So the ten ten toes and the ten kings are different. Just keep that in mind. They're different from the seven heads. The seven heads are historical. The ten kings are future. Just to put it into perspective some. So verse 4 And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So she's wearing the same color as the beast, but not just scarlet. She's got purple, gold, jewels, so she's decked very finely. She's decked very luxuriously. She has something to offer the kings of the earth in luxuries, which is why they, in God's eyes, commit idolatry and turn to her instead of the Lord. So they're running to wealth, and they're running to power. They're running to a system that allows them to have status in the world instead of leaning on Jehovah, who has the ultimate, right, the water, the living water that they would never thirst again from. So she's drinking a cup That's nothing but abomination and filthiness from her idolatry. And this started all the way back in Genesis 10. And the Lord has let it continue all of these thousands of years waiting for this moment to judge it. That's how long-suffering our God is. I mean, think about Noah. Noah built the ark for 120 years before God let it rain on the earth. He must have been ridiculed. And made fun of, and what he probably looked like a nut, honestly. But God was so patient, not just with Noah in letting him build that, but in preaching. He's a preacher of righteousness from the book of Peter. So he was preaching the Lord to the world, and nobody believed him except eight people that got into the ark. Every one of them perished otherwise. So, and it it goes goes to what Jesus says, right? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. If you're on a road that the world is, is walking down with you, you're on the wrong road. <laughs> just, just know that. So can you get the picture that she is a complete abomination to the Lord? So what would be the ultimate abomination to the Lord by which the entire world has participated? You know, that's, that's the picture you need to get out of this chapter. This is a, a religious system that is so corrupt The entire world has participated in it, and the the Lord is absolutely sick of it. He's sick of taking his truth and twisting it into a lie. And every false religious system on earth is rooted in this woman, this harlot from Babylon. And there's a a lot of churches out there under the banner of Christianity that teach a lot of things that are not in God's word a lot. There's they have some of them have other books. Some of them teach that you need to you need to go confess to somebody else not to Jesus and let them minister to the Lord on your behalf. And if you know God's word, then you know okay, there's one mediator between man and God, Christ Jesus. Why am I going to somebody else and confessing my sin when the Lord says, "Bring it to me, you that are weak and weary, and I'll give you rest." You don't look for rest from somebody else. There's there's so, it's so twisted, but it has just enough truth in it that it's caused the entire world to believe the lie. And you can see these characteristics amongst the global church today. And frankly, it's because the word of God isn't taught. That's why. So it's easy for the enemy to lead you astray or lead the world astray when the church is not teaching the word of God. It's teaching a watered down, twisted version of the word of God with truth in it, just enough truth that you're hooked, but enough deceit that you are inoperable for the kingdom. Okay. And that's what the enemy wants you to do is to have just enough truth, but twisted so that you are basically weak for the kingdom. You're ineffective for God's kingdom. If he can get you off base and make you ineffective, then you cannot serve the Lord to your fullest capacity. Remember from Ephesians 6, what is our only offensive weapon in the armor of God? It is the sword of the Spirit. So it is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon you have. So what would you do if you're the enemy? If you're fighting this war against Jesus, and the only weapon all of us in this room have is, is the word of God, what would you do? Well, you would attack that weapon. You would water it down. You would dull it. You would make it where it's ineffective and you can't train with it, right? You would make it where the church doesn't teach you how to use it. You would make it where the church waters it down so that you have have salvation, but you deny the power thereof. And that's exactly what you see globally today. It's why the entire world is marching headfirst into complete fearful lies that the enemy is propagating all over the earth. Okay, the next verse in verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written. Now it's capitalized because in the manuscripts when they wrote it, when the Holy Spirit wrote it through John, it's capitalized. And so what I think is so interesting about this is we're going to see there's one other place in the Bible in Revelation 19 where there's a name capitalized, and it's the King of Kings. And it's, it's just showing you that this is the epitome of the enemy, that she thinks she can deceit Jesus. And and you think all the way back to the garden. What did the enemy want to do to Eve? If you eat this, you will be like God. Not that you will supplant him, but you will be co-equal to. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted in Isaiah 14. Remember the five I wills from Satan. I will sit on the throne and be like the Most High. He didn't want to replace him. He wants to be equal to him. And it's a subtlety that if you're sensitive to, you'll see it all over false religions today. Your children in this world today are being pressured to be into a system called the New Age. And if you haven't heard about it, the the lie that they propagate is that you will get to a state of enlightenment and be like Jesus. Jesus was the most enlightened, and our goal in this new age system is that you become so enlightened you become like jesus he was our example okay do you see how twisted that is but it's exactly what's rooted back in the garden of eden it's was it's been satan's goal from the beginning and it continues today his methods do not change it is counterfeit lies and they're the same all the way from the garden so her name is mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth that's a name that you don't want from the Lord, by the way. So here the Lord confirms again that she is the mother of harlots. The source of all idolatry is this mystery Babylon, this system that's all the way back from Genesis 10. So again, every abomination today started with this woman at Babylon. And do not misunderstand either. God is furious about it. He, he is, it's reached up to him to where he's remembered. At this point in the tribulation. So in verse six, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Okay, so she is responsible for the blood of every martyr on planet earth that's ever lived. Just think about that. Every single person that has willingly given up their life in the name of our king she is responsible for that's a heavy occultic attack on God's people and you just cannot imagine during after the church was formed for the 2000 years that we've been living in this church age how many christians willingly clung to God's word and were burned at the stake in europe across the Middle East, beheaded for the name of Jesus. Every single one of them, their blood cries out to God, just like Cain and Abel. Remember when Cain killed Abel? And God says, where's your brother? As if he didn't know. But where is he? His blood cries out to me from the earth. Well, the blood of every martyr of Jesus is crying out to God from the earth because of this Babylonian system. So in verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So John's marveling not at the beauty of the beast, but at the astonishment that God's system could be so corrupted as to be responsible for the blood of martyrs of Jesus. He's he it's almost like he's blown away. He's he's I guess he's awake to it, right? He's looking at it, and he cannot believe that this system is responsible for the death of every single person in Jesus throughout history. And the, uh, the woman here, the mystery of the woman. So the, the word in the Greek is mysterion. So mysterion in the Greek, it carries a little bit of a different connotation than the word mystery in English. It means something that was hidden until now. It's not as if, it's not that anybody knew it, it's that it wasn't told until now. It's kind of like, well, if, if your kid is hiding a secret from you, he may have a mystery, but he knows it and you don't. It's different. This is a mystery that nobody knows until it's revealed. That's kind of the implication of the Greek for that word mysterion. So in verse 8, "...the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and, uh, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition." And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? Makes total sense. <laughs> okay, so remember the head wound. We've talked a lot about it in Revelation, the head wound of the, that the Antichrist receives. It's in Zechariah I think chapter 12, if I remember right. But the head wound for the idle shepherd. He's going to receive this head wound. He will not be, but he's a false resurrected Christ. That was, that's what this is all talking about, is this head wound of the beast. But the beast system that was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So look at in the, kind of towards the end of verse 8 here. Whose names are not written in the book of life. How many times over and over and over throughout the Bible does God hit on this topic? It's all over the place, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So, again, when you go back to Psalms, he says every name is written there before you are born. And then it's a matter of whether or not you accept it. So the, the people in the end times here that are accepting the mark of the beast, they are willingly giving their allegiance to the beast and this beast system, thus their name, as God told Moses, I have no choice, but I have to blot them out. So they were there, but they've made their decision against the Lord, and he has to blot them out. And he does that all throughout the Old Testament. He has to blot out their name. That's why their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. I hope we've got a lot of wisdom today. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So mountains always represent kingdoms throughout the Bible. Just keep that in mind. From Daniel 2, remember there was a stone cut without hands that crashed at the feet of of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and that stone grew into a mountain that filled the entire world. That's the millennial kingdom of our king, Jesus. He is going to set up a kingdom that will fill the world, and that's all from Daniel chapter 2 as an idiom of the mountain that destroys these ten kings in this final beast system. In verse 10, And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Okay, that's extremely straightforward. So we'll just end the the live stream here. No, I'm kidding. I think I've got a chart here. Yes. Okay. So the seven super kingdoms... When you think about there are seven heads and the seven heads represent seven mountains and the, the mountains are always kingdoms like we talked about. So just look at this. There have been seven kingdoms that have ruled the world that have tried to wipe out Israel without the church being formed. Okay, th- this is the key. You might ask, well, where's Germany? Because Nazi Germany tried to wipe out the world, right? Or wipe out the Jews and rule the world. Well, the church was formed, so they're not on this list. This list is exclusive of the church. That's the point. Because it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. The focus is once again on Israel. So you have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the final beast system. So there's the seven. Okay, and look what it says in Revelation seventeen ten. There are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So the five that are fallen are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. Rome was currently ruling the world when John wrote this, really when the Holy Spirit wrote it through John. So Rome, one is, and one is not yet come. And that is the seventh, the final beast system. It's not yet on the earth, so that's what that's what verse ten is talking about. Five are fallen, and one is, and one is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So we know the Antichrist gets power for seven years, so a short time in God's perspective that he's going to have power for seven years. This final beast system. That's why he says at the end of the verse he must continue a short space. Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's statue from Babylon down to the final beast system. So if you remember, he had Babylon as gold, Persia as silver, Greece as iron, Rome as brass, and then the final beast system is, uh, I'm sorry, brass was Greece, iron was Rome, and then the final beast system was iron mixed with clay. And so that's Daniel's statue, interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, is from the third kingdom down. In verse 11 of chapter 17, what we just read, and the beast that was and is not Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So under the final beast system, remember, there's these 10 kings. Just hang with me. There's these 10 kings. The Antichrist rises out of them, puts three of them down. The other seven commit all of their authority to him. And then he receives that head wound, is falsely resurrected, and then goes back or finishes out the tribulation. So he's of the eighth, okay? He's the eighth, but he's of the seven, okay? So he puts them down, then he rises as the eighth of those seven to take their power, consolidate under him. So you have these seven heads. That's why the Lord in all these verses, there are seven heads but ten crowns. So he's differentiating the seven kingdoms that have ruled the world, that have tried to wipe out the Jews, differentiating the final kingdom will have these ten horns, these ten crowns, from Revelation and Daniel, because the final system on earth is made up of ten kings. Okay, hope that's helpful. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. So there it is again from Daniel 7, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So it's a short time that they rule on the earth. And don't bother trying to find them on a map somewhere, because... They haven't received power yet. That's what it says in verse 12. They've not received power or authority as of yet. So it's not the United States. It's not Italy. It's not Spain. It's not Russia or China. They're not on a map anywhere yet. But you could see how 10 people could easily, with everything that's going on in the world today, you could see how 10 people would easily rise up and start setting policy and start setting up boundaries around the world, right? In what you can and can't do. And you saw that a lot in 2020 being set up. In verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So they give their portion of the kingdom to the Antichrist. Then shall make war with the Lamb. That's about as idiotic as you can get, honestly. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So they're going to make war with the lamb. They're going to knowingly take up arms against Jesus Christ, the one that spoke them into existence. The one, as we've talked about, is literally holding every atom in their body together with the sound of his voice. They are going to take up war knowingly with the creator himself. Now, You could get into a lot of study as to, number one, what would give them the audacity to think they could win? That's a question. Think about that. What would make them take up war against Jesus and be so confident that they could win? Now, why would they? Well, they have no choice. Their names have been blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. They have no choice but to go to war fallen angels are unredeemable. Jesus did not die for them. He died for us. We are made in God's image. Thus Jesus became a man and died for everyone made in his image. There's a a piece of every single person that's ever been created on earth made in the image of God that is eternal whether they like it or not because they're made in his image. He cannot be destroyed. He can't be beaten. He can't sit down. And everyone that he breathed life into carries that marker, that they are eternal. They can never be destroyed. You and I cannot be destroyed. It's just a matter of where are we going to spend it. And so these people, if you want to get a good good laugh, read Psalms 2. And we've covered it in here a couple of times. But Psalms 2 is a dialogue between the Trinity, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it opens up with the Lord laughing at these people taking up arms against him. He is laughing in heaven at what they are doing. That's what God thinks about what is going on in this earth today. He's laughing about it and thinking, you guys are trying to pull this off to usher in the final world system when it's not time. I haven't declared it's time. My church is still on the earth. I've got to bring them home before this system can take over the earth. So he's literally laughing at them. And at some point, they're going to surround Jerusalem And think that they're going to make war with Jesus when he steps back down from heaven and we are with him. We are with him. It's from Colossians, Titus 3, 4. It's our blessed hope that we go home in the rapture and then we get to come back with him on a white horse. If you're in the church, you get to ride back with Jesus on a white horse, which is about the coolest thing you could ever imagine. And when we get to Revelation 19, you're going to see me totally geek out about the physics behind what is going to happen when Jesus uncurls those other dimensions and we come back to the earth with him on a white horse. You cannot imagine. It will be, it will be the greatest thrill ride you will ever have in your life. And we're going to sit there with Jesus, and he's going to speak and wipe out every one of these people that have chosen to make war against him. They're choosing to go to war with Jesus. Jesus. And you think back to the Gospels, they chose war against Jesus, but it was time. He had to die for us. He's already done that once. His death is behind him. They're not going to be able to do it a second time. He is a ruling, conquering king that is going to speak and wipe them out with the sound of his voice. That's it. It's not even going to be a war. They're going to try to make war. It's going to be a, it's not even, it's going to be a staging ground. They're just going to be wiped out. So that's what they're doing here. But look what the, God, the, the Lord calls us. We are called, chosen, and faithful. So we are, we are the called. If you are in him, you are called. You are chosen. And the, the saddest part about it is, is that every single person that's ever been born on earth was called into a saving relationship with Jesus. They didn't answer the call. And you think about God in all of his might and power, how he would get... You would think he would get anything he wanted, right? He's God. There's nothing that he wouldn't want that he wouldn't get, but there is one thing, and it's salvation for every single person that's ever walked on this earth. He's not going to get it because forced love is not love. It's something different, and we prosecute it today. It's called something much, much different, and he's given us free will to accept him or not, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people That are going to go to the grave having not accepted him. So in verse fifteen, and he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. I'm sorry, he's using the word whore in in God's word, but that's how he's describing this woman, because God is a jealous God. He is jealous for your heart. He's jealous for my heart. He's jealous for the hearts and minds of every man that he's ever created. And he's a jealous God. It took me a few years to understand, what is he jealous about? And when you understand he's jealous for your affection, he's jealous for your time, he's jealous for your love, he's jealous to have only have eyes for him, he's jealous for you to commit your family to him. He's jealous for you to pray over your children at night and lay hands on them when they're sick. He's jealous for you to walk into that room in the hospital when someone's dying and to preach Jesus to them and get them saved. He's a jealous God because he wants all of us. He doesn't want to be number one on a list of 100. He wants to be one on a list of one, and that's it. And everything else is subservient to him. And so he's jealous, and what this system has done has created a a place for all the peoples of the earth to turn their affection to something other than the Most High. That's why he's so upset about it, because it has taken his bride and led her astray. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, thee shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. See, Satan at one point will no longer use the system. See the system was to lead you astray but he wants to be worshiped. And so in every false religion on earth is going to be devoured by his system so that there's only one thing left to worship on earth and that's him. That's what's going to happen in the tribulation. So verse 7 for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. Okay do not be confused by that statement. A lot of Christians are led astray in the whole Exodus event whenever God's word says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay, it does not mean that he placed, he made his heart so that he could not accept the Lord. That's not what that means. In the Hebrew, it means he gave his heart over to his desires. In other words, he let him do what his will was. And because of that, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and it's confirmed in 2 Samuel and a few other spots when you get into it, but don't be led astray by the Lord is not making it so they are they can't accept him, like with Pharaoh. He's making it so that he's giving them over to their heart's desire, and thus it was hardened. Okay, when you, You've got to study that in the Hebrew to really get the context of it. But for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree... And give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigned over the kings of the earth. So what city ruled the world when the Holy Spirit was writing this passage? It was Rome. Rome ruled the world. And ultimately the pagan system migrated from Babylon through Pergamus and all these other cities that ruled the world until it settled in Rome. And it then corrupted the entire world. It's why Christians were burned at the stake during the Inquisition and all those things in Europe through mass executions of God's people for them standing on God's word. There were more Christians slaughtered in one day in Europe than there was in the entire 19th century combined because of this system. That's how corrupt it is. And so the pagan system set there in Rome, And all these false religions came out of it all over the world under the banner of Christianity. And we're going to see next time from Zechariah that this system is going to migrate back to its home, to Babylon. And it's going to be a pretty amazing study next week in chapter 18 as we look into that and why it's going to go back to Babylon. It's going to receive this judgment from those four chapters we talked about from Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50, 51, and then now in chapter 18, next. So Mystery Babylon is a false religious system that's been identified with the city of Rome from the early centuries, and there's 10 distinguishing characteristics of this system. An unfaithful woman has an influence over the entire earth. It's seated upon the beast, directing the beast for a season. It's dressed in purple, scarlet, gold, and jewels, so it's very luxurious. It's drinking a golden cup filled with abominations. It's a religious system linked with Babylon of Nimrod. It's the mother of all harlots. Thus, out of this system came the pagan religions. It's the persecutor of Jesus' followers and rejoices in their blood. It sits on seven hills. And interestingly enough, Rome was built on seven hills. And they're named. I'm going to totally butcher the name, so I'm not going to try to pronounce them. But you can look that up. Just Google that. Rome was built on seven hills the city that ruled over the earth when the Holy Spirit wrote Revelation, and that could only be, obviously, Rome. So that's who the Babylonian, this woman, Mystery Babylon, it's this false pagan religious system that's taken over the world, and the judgment on that system is going to unfold next week in chapter 18, and we're going to look at what God declared in those four chapters in the Old Testament and how it has never been fulfilled. And so when you look in, the, look in the newspapers today and just be sensitive to what's going on in Babylon, it's a real city along the banks of the Euphrates, south of Baghdad, about 55 miles, and God has a future for it declared in his word that's never unfolded. So we're going to look at that in a lot of detail next time. And then we may even take one week and just look at why is the Pope visiting there, what did the US military do there back in the 90s? Why is it so important to all the governments of the world? What do they want with Babylon? There's nothing there but there is. And there's a system there that they are trying to raise up and take over the world with. So call to action. Uh, before we get into this, I've talked about this all back in Revelation 13 part 2, but you can see right now, if you are sensitive, if you're biblically astute, individual. You can see right now the rise of this beast system across the world that the false religious system is going to attach itself to and take over the earth. You can see it. Now the question is is it time yet for that to happen? That's the question because the church cannot be here when it does happen. And so if you see the stage setting of it rising up, is God going to let it happen or by bringing us home or is he going to intervene and pause this for, some, for a season? You know, we're not sure. Obviously, nobody in this room knows that answer. But what I can tell you is that no matter which way this unfolds, you have a plan. God has a plan for you right now on this earth to occupy until he calls us home. And to occupy, what does that mean? That doesn't mean hide your head and, and stock up on supplies and get in your house and wait until you hear the trumpet that means go out and make disciples to the end of the earth. That means stand up and teach God's word. That means get involved in what's happening, whether it's local politics, city councils, school boards, whatever. Get involved. Be a prayer warrior. Stand up as an Esther from chapter four and go to battle for God's people. We've had, you will never believe this, somehow through a ministry that I, that I dearly love, and it's very dear to my heart, uh, here in Oklahoma City, Prophecy Watchers, if any of you know it, with Gary Stearman. Through them, we got connected, New City Church got connected with some families in Australia that needed exemption forms, and needed help, and needed prayer. And there are Christians all over the world right now whose church will not stand up and help them, and, and are literally telling them no, and just telling them, no, I'm sorry, you're out of luck, go elsewhere. And they don't, they do not teach the word of God. They don't study the word of God. They are in the Lord's eyes abominable. They're not standing up for truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And so we had the opportunity to help this family in Australia and it's only going to spread from there. But God is using every one of you in this room to make an impact on the world. Do not lose sight that, okay, we're a small group of families right now in the middle of The nation in in a small town in Oklahoma, God is using you because you have been obedient and stepping out and said, Lord, take me, choose me. Remember in Isaiah, the Lord said, is there one, is there anyone that will go forward for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, choose me. That's what you get a chance to do in this day and age. You get the chance to raise your hand and say, Lord, choose me and go forward. And the gospel, our, in our form, in our exemption form, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how every Christian is made in his image, and if you are not saved, you are still made in his image, it got on the desk of the second highest political officer in the nation, in the city-state of, of Queensland, Australia. Okay, so that man sat there and read the Bible, the Word of God, on the other, other side of the world from this little church in Edmond, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's just amazing. But God is doing that, and he's working miracles in and through his people all over the world that want to stand up and fight for him, and that will stand boldly in the space and plead and intercede on behalf of his people. So I'm just imploring you, and we talk about it every week, but you've got to get into God's word. And as you get refined in his word and you build your faith, because in Hebrews 11:6 it's impossible to please him without it, as you do that, He's going to find ways to use you. Okay, you're committed now. You've, you've shed this that's been holding you back. This chain has been around your ankle, and you haven't been able to run as fast. You've been carrying a burden that he never intended you to carry. So he's placing that down at the throne room of the universe. And the only way you do that is to get into God's word, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God from Romans 10, 17. So just every one of you, if you're watching this online, if you're in this building just take that step because Jesus is raising up a people that are unashamed for him that's what I had never imagined when he called us to start this church last year that this would be where the world is less than a year later I just I would have never imagined it in my wildest dreams but we're here so if you don't know the Lord if you want to accept Jesus it's really simple, Romans 10 9, that if you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. So the bride of Christ is reaching a close. Every day we draw closer, every single day. And I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime or, your, or our lifetime, in you know, our kids' lifetime when the rapture calls, but I can tell you this week we're a week closer. And next week we're going to be a week closer. And the bride of Christ has a number from Romans 11:25. 25. There's a number that the Lord knows that completes the church. And when he does, when that last person is saved, that the Lord knows will complete the church. The father looks over at Jesus who's sitting next to him at the right hand and says, go get Him, go get your bride, bring them home. And he's going to meet us in the air and we are forever going to be with him. And I love the lady in Australia wrote she, she just wrote this email to us at the church, just pouring out her love and crying because of we stepped in to help them. And she wrote, I love the line she said at the very end of the message, because I told her we're studying Revelation. You can watch it, send her the link. And she said, can you imagine if the book ended with, you're stuck with all these Luciferian leaders and Jesus is not coming back. You know, can you imagine that? That would just be a horrible way to end. But that's not how it ends. And praise God, it's not how it ends. And if you want to go home and be a part of the bride of Christ, that's how you do it. So if you're watching this online, just get on your knees and cry out to the Lord and be a member of the body of Christ because that bride is going to be called home very, very soon. So with that, I'll close us out in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. We pray over all of the needs of the families here, all of the needs of those around the world. Lord, you have called us to be a people that serve you in an unashamed manner, standing on the truth of your words. So God, we thank you for that opportunity. And we just pray, Lord, that you would place a special hedge of protection around those that are in you all over the world. Provide for them, give them safety, grant them provision, And Lord, just meet them where they are and teaching them your word. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you for every family in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much.